0: Welcome back to Rights a Refuge, a podcast brought to you by Solidarity. I'm Cicely, and my role is on the comms team at Solidarity.
1: And I'm Anna, and I'm a regional vocal point. Today, we're talking about how to have tricky conversations about the refugee crisis.
0: So, at Solidarity, we're trying to raise awareness about the injustice faced by refugees. Um, And this is not always easy. Quite often I find myself having difficult conversations, not just with other people, but also amongst the team ourselves. There's different ways to to talk about different narratives and portray different points of view. Um, And so Anna, you're an RFP and you work with the teams of Solidarity's volunteers. um, And one of your main roles, I guess, would be to give advice about how to raise awareness um, of these injustices. So kind of my first point of call would be, do you have any tips on having these difficult conversations? And how do these conversations change depending on the situation you're in, be it friends, family or uh, strangers?
1: Uh, sure. So this is a really, um, I guess when I'm trying to think about this, and I, I, I should probably have said before I started, um, my I'm coming to this only through uh, someone who, um, has just had a few experiences as a campaigner with political parties, um, some, chairing some discussion sessions, um, and trying to organise climate uh, climate strikes in my community. Um, so there's a whole <laughs> there's a whole different set of like um, st- different communities that you'll be talking to, but also different relationships to you, right? Because there's I like to think of it as like um, three different uh, categories of people. Um, because if, I think the, the, the situation we all imagine in our heads uh, is that you will be <laughs> you'll be in the street um, and you'll be met with the most anti uh, anti refugee sort of most the the, the the polar opposite of what you are, who's kind of questioning everything that you are. This kind of stranger that's like angrily shouting at you. But really, the kind of <laughs> the reality. Is that that is very unlikely to happen? I think Um, that's kind of what this sort of YouTube generation has taught us. Because whenever we type in debate, we always see like the absolute extreme yes versus the absolute extreme no. Um, So I guess that's that's my caveat that I'd have is from my experience, this (laughs) this uh, absolute yes versus absolute no is quite unlikely to happen. But would definitely sort of fall into that sort of like more of a that's that's the that's the thing that people tend to seem to dread (laughs) when they're thinking about having like doing a talk or um, doing any kind of outreach event. They seem to dread the idea of being accosted by some really anti-refugee stranger. (laughs) Um, But it's a bit different when it people. so So that's my first category is strangers um but then also the way that we interact with our relatives our family members you know people that we can't we ha- we have to treat utterly differently because you can't necessarily choose to let these people out of your life and you don't really get to choose who is in this category that, that of between friend and stranger and of course the third category being like your friends who tend to share many values with you um But it's all it's all completely different circumstances. So I guess that's the first thing that I'd say to that is like my first tip, going back to your question on having difficult conversations would be thinking about the context.
0: So like, obviously, you're you are a bit of an expert on having these types of conversations with people who you know might necessarily um, agree with you. But in the terms of the refugee crisis specifically, what are some of the common arguments you get when talking to people? So um, I know, for example, you did a video about how to persuade someone to buy a solidarity solidarity um, to try and convince your flatmate. And so, like, what was his argument, for example?
1: So mm, um, it's really useful, actually, um, living with someone that holds me to account a lot. Because, again, it goes back to that, like, assuming, assuming someone's arguments can can set you up for having debates that you don't need to have. If you assume that, um, for instance, just because someone doesn't think, you know, someone doesn't agree with everybody being able to access the NHS doesn't necessarily mean that they don't think everyone should have equal rights to to access that, if that makes sense. So um, assuming one set of politics doesn't necessarily lead into one. I saw an interesting thing online the other day that was like, you can either, <laughs> it doesn't make sense how people want to, protect our borders and stop refugees coming in but if we're not if we're not affording any um, level of care for the people that are here like what's the difference so you've got to kind of but yeah uh, in in terms of common arguments there's this whole there's a whole we have to understand that there's been a over 10 years of concerted media campaign and government campaign uh, of this idea of floods of people trying to get into the country and this kind of unstoppable wave um overflowing our communities and under and and for me i find it helpful to remember that this has come from this isn't individuals necessarily trying to come to these kind of horrible conclusions which i find disagreeable it's it's been propelled by the establishment and by you know the mainstream new newspapers that we read uh, but also Uh, The comedy that we watched and the kind of the politicians that we've that we voted for have all manipulated these topics and targeted um, certain communities with different messaging to the messaging that I've grown up with I've grown up (laughs) in a middle class area um, at a good school which allowed us the kind of a a different set of debates and not exactly not the same media messaging so I think understanding that there's a a lot of the insecurities that people have about refugees comes from insecurities actually about values like family which have been tied to the assumption of uh of, of strangers and it's not so so even though it's tempting as sort of young liberals or whatever um to to tie it up with like how do you not show love how do you not show compassion actually it's it's been weaponized and turned into you show love to your close family by distancing and protecting them from strangers and once we once you break that down and once you once you try and I think try and humanize <laughs> the people that you're talking about um, I found it really good with my uh, my grandparents to actually talk about um, the situations that my friends have been going through or um, the situations that their neighbors have found themselves in and it's been really interesting over and it it's been a long process but <laughs> over the last Okay, watching their opinions sort of shift and eventually sort of the newspapers that they choose to read shift as well as they um and this is on a whole host of issues, but definitely the the mass opinion that we have, the negative narrative that we have about the refugee crisis isn't isn't an accident. It's been created and consumed um at the at the at the wishes of those who profit from this sort of political Stamps. <laughs> yeah i
0: mean definitely i think in some ways that like how the media has portrayed the refugee crisis and inverted commas is um, has completely like led to the, this whole topic of having difficult conversations because it's kind of driven people to draw their own opinions based on snippets of news they hear without necessarily like diving into the facts into that much detail and now we're at this point where we're having to have these kind of difficult conversations because of these like misconceptions which people have just been fed um so yeah I guess that kind of like ties on to what you just said but so if someone said to you oh we already have enough refugees like we've done our bit kind of thing like what would be something you would say in response to that
1: yeah so um so this is obviously uh, a really key question which um in an ideal world you'd have at the front of your head um the facts around this right you might have just on the keyboard as I typed in uh, UK refugee intake into my computer because I'll admit I'm really bad at remembering the numbers and and, and I think one of the fears that people have around entering into these conversations is they won't be able to recall the exact numbers Um, so looking at my computer screen now I can see it was uh, 133,000 refugees in the UK at the end of 2019 so that's two years out of date. So. I guess I'd start with saying my ideal take, which would be to remember those numbers and remember actually how ridiculously small that is. But even if I could, remember, you know, one hundred thirty thousand, which I should be able to, um, emphasizing that for starters, that that is in total the entire that the refugee population of the UK is so. Uh, so minuscule compared to what it is presented as and especially compared to if you look at the at the rest of Europe if you look at I mean the classic example is Germany but we really and and we know that recent events have sort of relied on this but we really are taking like the minimum um intake and so that would be my first point would be just like Look at the numbers.
0: Have some facts up your sleeve.
1: <laughs> Have some facts up your sleeve, if possible. But don't get too caught up on it. Like, if if you can't remember the exact numbers, I think it's okay to just get your phone out or like just try and remind people that it really is compared to what other EU countries are doing. And then I'd secondly say, well, actually, why is why is Germany um, accepting so many more refugees proportionally? than the uk not just by number but actually compared to the size of germany and whatever like why and they're not doing it we need to stop seeing it as like an act of charity or an act of good (laughs) they're making a strong economic decision um that they know that actually like it's not a threat to your economy to have um young or to have um like (laughs) <laughs> to have people that want to be in your country in your country um,
0: yeah. So. yeah no, exactly I mean I read something the other day and it was saying how the UK itself is actually one of the biggest exporters of migrants so the, the amount of people who leave the UK to live elsewhere and it's kind of like turning the argument on its head a bit and thinking at it from a different perspective but yeah like going back to what you were saying about it's fine to kind of like get your phone out and in a way that's actually such a good thing like you don't have to be the perfect person and know all the facts to have a strong argument but as long as you kind of remember the general gist of things there's not a problem to be like okay well let's look it up and let's see and then we're both here together there's no like right or wrong we're both seeing the same thing and and in that way you're kind of you're both learning together and it's not necessarily isolating the other person or alienating the other person you're speaking to you're not creating a divide trying to bring people together over it. Maybe you could talk a bit about like why it's important to have these difficult conversations in the first place.
1: It's important. I mean, sometimes it's not important, right? Sometimes if, if there's already a hefty argument going on, um, and you feel like both opinions are, are being represented as well as you could represent them, and you know, your your opinion is is there and being reflected, and you're actually learning. Like there's absolutely no need to, to dive in there. Um but I guess the reason why I want more, I want one of solidarity's like key things is it's it's is in uh, empowering people to um, be more confident in, in arguments is because quite often it is just a case of you, all that we hear is these false narratives going unchecked, um, and largely that's due that is due to a sort of uh, a sensitivity, if you will, of trying not to upset people you know, um, the people sort of spouting this upsetting and problematic content aren't worried about upsetting people, but ironically, um, those listeners who sometimes disagree with them, I think, um, especially, yeah, a lot of, a lot of the solidarity volunteers I've, I've spoken to, um, I I just don't want to upset anyone by disagreeing, but allows it to, it to seem like a uneven debate. Like, you know, all you need to do is type into YouTube, um, like any of these issues and there's hundreds of videos of people angrily screaming uh about and spewing hatred but there's not that many people just quietly trying to set out the facts i don't think um and that definitely affects different groups differently it's really interesting looking at the trends of how looking at one video type of video on youtube will link to another type of video on youtube um and i was just comparing like the youtube feeds that i get shown compared to the YouTube feeds that my housemate gets shown just because he's more into online gaming which I find really weird um but yeah and I guess
0: it's also you kind of for some people it might be that you don't want to be disappointed or you don't want to be argued against that they might find out a bit frustrating or I don't know maybe even frightening but kind of like taking a step back and dissociating yourself from this and actually it isn't necessarily about you it's about the cause you're speaking about which at the end of the day it's like that's much more important um kind of to remember um would you like be able to tell us about um like a particular time you remember having a difficult conversation with and what that was about um and how you left afterwards like how did it make you feel
1: I think a recent example um would be my auntie who I've I've never lived with and used to live in a town so uh there's always been a sort of understanding of different generations um and different sort of politics um but recently I, I guess we we got a bit closer because of some sort of family reasons um and she said to me what she said she said the thing I really struggle with about feminism is um how why is it okay that women have to wear headscarves um and she was sort of I mean, this is difficult because it takes so much trust to build up to that point of her actually telling me an opinion that she held, Um, which is why at the start I sort of went through the sort of different categories of how close you are to someone. Because when someone is actually telling you something that they they almost have a, like a, a guilt over or like a a fear because they don't want to damage your relationship, um, again, like, that kind of outrage economy that we see online would tell us you're supposed to like, like shout back and and not put up with any of it um but I think actually spending like an hour um going through and explaining what what people said online and why she might have been drawn to that conclusion um and potentially and, and then suggesting what we like watch should, a what should documentary but also um how there had been that I think to me it's important to acknowledge that this is a discussion which has been had and which people have been sort of like led down the route of but also that it's not it's not it's not her being like I hate the words it's not her making a mistake it's again something which has been driven towards her like people have tried to give her that opinion like it's designed and to me that's really important because it takes away the personal responsibility like obviously you're still responsible for what you believe but it's not wholly your fault i think is to me a really important thing does that make sense
0: yeah no definitely i think yeah it's a, it's a good thing to remember that these like pre-assumptions which people have are not necessarily their own opinions but they might not have even had an opinion so kind of like hearing one from elsewhere is better than none And if they've only heard it from one side it's quite difficult to like necessarily like blame them but then equally it's if you're if you've been educated enough to understand both sides it's difficult not to then instantly get angry and actually you want to just like take a step back and think like why are they thinking that and they don't they want this as like a personal attack and you shouldn't take it as a personal attack either like just because it's a different opinion to what you think Mm -hmm. but I guess it kind of leads on quite well to my next point which is um, like how not to be disappointed or demotivated if you're like unable to shift someone's mindset
1: yeah this is a big one especially at the moment like especially during a lockdown Um, like it, it there is just so much uh, fatigue and this sort of desire to just curl up under your bed and sort of wait um, and because online spaces are so like you know unpredictable and just weird for your mental health um i i think it is just the like at the very least you can you can control what you do you can personally yourself make sure that none of your actions are um, detrimental to others i i see that as the very minimum um, and it's not actually a minimum because so many people i think certainly i do i base myself and my standards on the maybe seven people that I spend the most time with or the seven people that I speak the most to. So sort of raising the personal expectations you have for yourself, educating yourself, thinking and, and, and engaging in conversations when they arise, um, thinking about what you're purchasing, making sure that you know, you're know you not um, purchasing products which have exploited people. It's, there, there, there's a big debate, isn't there, about like institutional change versus personal change, but I see them as quite interlinked because if you're personally trying your best, and um, demonstrating what you wish to see in the world, I think it has wider ramifications than we ever really realise because I'm definitely inspired by people that I love and that I see without them ever really realising. And I do try to tell them. (laughs) Um, Like taking some comfort in you're not necessarily convincing people, you're never going to convince someone in an argument, especially if it's yes versus no like we're not trained it's not part of our education really to know how to admit when we're wrong how to say sorry how to say that we've changed our mind I don't know how to say it <laughs> um it might take a month for me to realize it might take until I go into another conversation and actually my I realize that my tone has chip has flipped for me to ever even realize that they changed my mind um so like lowering your expectations <laughs> if I'm allowed to say that um because the, the personal impact that you're making on the community that you're in, but also like realizing that you're never going to know the full extent of your actions. Um, yeah, but-
0: <laughs> that's very true. Yeah, and like the flip side, and um, yeah, no, that's so true. And I think how you link that to like the institutional change compared to like the community-based changes a really important point because I think they are very heavily dependent on the other. Like you can't really have one without the other. But I think but you hear being said quite a lot is like it's better for one person to do it imperfectly than no it's better than for lots of people to do it imperfectly than for one person to do it perfectly and I think that's a really key message like just because you might not have got the right outcome out of the conversation of which you want which you wanted or perceived to be right it doesn't necessarily mean you didn't change the opinion in that moment like you said it could be a couple of weeks later you might have made that person think back to your conversation and think oh actually like I kind of I got what Anna was saying uh, like that makes more sense um equally if it's only just one person doing it completely right that's going to have a very minimal impact um but the more you do it I think also yeah the more comfortable you're going to get in yourself um yeah it's kind of like I guess if you like played sports the first time you're never going to be amazing at it the first time but then the more you do it the more you practice the better you're going to get um so yeah and my last kind of question for you then is um, what should be my biggest takeaway from this conversation um, for like me to think about, but then also the audience to think about when I'm having a difficult conversation in the future?
1: The biggest takeaway, I think, should be the impact of inaction. Um, the impact of you deciding not to correct someone's ideology. The impact of you deciding not to uh, reply to someone's inaccurate Facebook post. The privilege that you have in being a in a position to witness this if you're in the room where you see a a, yeah a a problematic action being done or a problematic statement um think about why no one else is calling that out think about um who would call them out and why they aren't in that room because a lot of the time um it it, we we are in very privileged spaces well I'm in a very privileged space I'm in the north of England I'm at a good university Mm -hmm. uh, and the the friendship groups that I'm at that I'm in when these when these problematic narratives emerge it's often I think we have a responsibility to um, be saying and correcting things because Mm -hmm. Like that is that is a privilege that we that we have to keep in mind. I think if if that makes sense.
0: <laughs> yeah, no, completely, definitely. Um, I think we've yeah summed up. You said it. you really know what else to add to that. That yeah, that's really important. The implications of inaction.
1: But also what you said of um, you like nobody's perfect. I'm constantly waiting around looking for someone better than me to speak, and sometimes they're around, which mm-hmm. is excellent. Um, but a lot of the time they're not and then I just have to have my best stab at it and have a go because saying something is better than saying nothing
0: (laughs) exactly yeah definitely thank you for listening to write to refuge for each episode we have collated further reading resources which you can find by visiting our website There you can find everything podcast related and also how to get involved in Solidarity if you want to make a change. Please do subscribe and if you're listening on Apple Podcasts, leave a review as it helps other people find us.